take our Bibles. If you have your church covenant handy, we'll take that also. Let's go to the book of James. The book of James, chapter 4, please. We're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. Before we read our text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful again for this day to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege it is to pray, to, to ask things before your throne, and to have our prayers answered. You're so faithful. And Lord, we just thank you this time for the service and for the privilege it is to preach and to study our church covenant. Lord, you know our needs. And Father, you know this has been... Um, a big study for me, and I, I just thank you so much for what I've learned and what you've convicted me about, about the subject matter. And I just pray, Lord, that I'll be able to speak clearly today and to present it to your people. Lord, you know I have no confidence in myself. I'm relying totally on you to help me today, Father. And I know that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Bless this time now, Lord. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. James 4.11, the Bible says... Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Thank you. You may be seated. So today we're going to look at the covenant point to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger. Not watching or governing our tongues can be a dangerous thing in a church. When church members start to gossip and start to speak evil of each other, mark it down, that's when the devil has an opportunity to cause division and possibly destroy a church from within. Amen? That's what is called divide and conquer. Divide and conquer is a war tactic to make a group of people disagree and, and fight with one of another so that they will not join together against one. And scripture tells us that our adversary is the devil. It's not each other. And we should be united against him. But when we gossip, when we backbite, and when we slander, when we lie about one another, we are harming one of another instead of being united against the devil and against the world. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we see here that Satan can get an upper hand on us if we allow it. This is why we must not do Satan's work by engaging in speaking evil of each other. Titus 3.2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So we are not to speak evil of no man. Amen? No man, not even our enemies, let alone the brethren. First Peter 2.1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. So what is speaking evil? It's a good question. The word for speaking evil in the Greek is the word kataleo. This means to speak out against. It means to incriminate. Speaking evil signifies speaking anything that may hurt or injure another. 
So when we speak evil of a brother, we are injuring his character. We are trying to put him in a negative light to the hearer. Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, and Pastor says this quote many times, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events, but small minds discuss people. And speaking evil of the brethren should not be our main topic of conversation. Constantly running down each other should not be our MO. So let's go back to our text in James chapter 4, 11, 12. It says, speak not evil one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother judges and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Speaking evil puts us in a bad situation or bad situations. And we're going to look at the three ways outlined in our text. And number one is speaking evil puts us against the brethren. Verse 11 again says, speak not evil one of another brethren. So we find here God is very, very concerned about the way we treat each other as converts of Jesus Christ. Don't overlook the word brethren here. He is speaking to saved people. The idea that words can never hurt, we know is not true. It's not true. Words are powerful tools that can be used to edify and encourage, but they can also damage and they can offend. Amen? Let's turn to, in our Bibles to James chapter 1, a couple pages over. James chapter 1. In verse 19, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Amen? So the idea here is that we don't want to be quick to speak with our words. We want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Wrath is important. We don't want want to be excessively angry. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. The Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So we don't want to be angry people. We don't want to have bitterness in our hearts. We don't want to speak evil of anyone with malice, with with, with, uh, malicious intent. We need to put it away from us as brethren. Amen? Let's turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 8. The Bible says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So we put off the old man. We're saved now. We need to put these things off. We're saved. We're brethren. We shouldn't be, you know, having filthy communication about each other. We should not be blaspheming. We should not have malice or wrath. We're brethren. We need to be controlled by the spirit. Wrath is a, a characteristic of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. And, and we have to do what Galatians says. It says, if you walk in the spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you remember, early points in our covenant, we agreed to walk together in Christian love, and we agreed to walk circumspectly in the world, 
And we also agree to be exemplary in our deportment and how we treat each other with our words is closely connected with these covenant points. If you're still in Colossians, let's look at chapter 4, verse 6. It says, let your speech, let your speech be all way with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how how you ought to answer every man. So the idea is our words to others must always be with grace, amen? With grace. Our words must not be used for the purpose of gossip, for backbiting, or for criticizing. Peter said, our Lord, speaking of our Lord, he said, who did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. That's that's, that's the same standard we should have for our mouth. No guile should be found in our mouth when we're speaking of the brethren. But we know, we know our tongues are in a, a very slippery place. It's so easy to be offensive if we're not careful. We all have said the wrong things before, whether it's someone's face or behind their back. Amen. We've done that. I've done that. No one can say that they never had said the wrong thing before. We're all guilty of this. Let's turn in James. Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. If anyone says they haven't offended with their tongue, they're not being honest. James chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, For in many things we offend all. In words we offend all. Many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word... The same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So if you're someone who never offends in word, James is saying that you're perfect, because we all have done it, right? He's saying you're perfect, and you have complete control over your body, and we know that's not true. So in other words, everyone offends in their speech, amen? No one is perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are commanded to not speak evil one of another. This is a different type of offense, and let's look at some of these, amen? One, it's backbiting. Backbiting. The Bible says to back, well, the definition, excuse me, to backbite is to speak against someone in order to hurt them. It's to speak deceitfully behind someone's back. Hence the name backbiting. To be a backbiter, in essence, is to be a coward. Because you're saying things to people about a person that you probably wouldn't say to their face. Right? It's easy to talk behind someone's back. But 99% of the time, you wouldn't say that to the person face-to-face, and that's wrong. People backbite for all sorts of reasons. Maybe a person had a conflict with someone and was never settled properly, and there's unforgiveness, and that unforgiveness leads to bitterness, right? And then to excessive, excessive anger, and then when you're angry, you're not thinking right. That's why we need to control our anger, control our emotions, because those emotions can lead to, like, mean words to someone else, about someone else. But then this person speaks evil of this other person because of this offense. This is why it's also important to handle offenses and disputes as outlined in Matthew 18. Right? The Bible says, see your brother and talk to them. Go see them and see them alone. It doesn't say, go see another brother about that brother and start talking about them. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's backbiting. Our goal is to be Christ-like. We want to be like our Lord, but when we're engaged in backbiting... We are not displaying the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Backbiting, actually, is a characteristic of the reprobate mind. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1, and we'll see that. Romans chapter 1. Verse 28. The Bible says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... 
God gave them over to a, a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. So we see here a reprobate is someone who goes too far with God, right? This person rejects God and God ultimately rejects them. And this reprobation of mind is connected in the previous verses in Romans 1 with homosexuality and moral perversion. And we find here that backbiting is listed with all those wicked sins of a reprobate mind. And let's go over a few. In verse 29 it says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. Here we go, deceit, malignity, whisperers. The characteristic of a reprobate mind is to deceive. This speaks of being crafty and being guile. Whisperers speak of a secret slanderer, right? Someone who's always whispering gossip. This brother so-and-so, this sister so-and-so, they did this. They're saying you're local. They don't want anyone to hear. That's being a whisperer. This person is a detractor. This person is constantly talking about others, and they do it in a slick, subtle manner. Whispering is the mark of a froward man. In Proverbs 16:28, the Bible says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. So the gossip of a whisperer causes strifes and can break up friendships. And not just any friendship, it can break up chief friends, best of friends. That's how damaging whispering and gossiping is. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 30. The Bible says, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. So a backbiter is on the same level as a hater of God. A backbiter is proud. They do not see the wickedness of their sin because they're being blinded by their pride. A backbiter is an inventor of evil things, evil things. They lie about their victims for the purpose of destroying their reputation. It sounds a lot like social media today, amen? I'm glad I'm not on it. Well, I do check Twitter sometimes just for like sports updates, but other than that, it's a cesspool. Don't, don't be involved with it. Don't ever answer anyone, please. <laughs> it sounds like cable news channels, amen? Like Brother Frank was talking about last week. It sounds like politicians today, amen? Verse 31 says, without understanding, they're covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. The Bible says that they are covenant breakers. In other words, they're not faithful to promises. Here at Long Island Baptist Church, we are covenanting together not to backbite. And if we are not faithful to this, we are in essence covenant breakers. We're studying the church covenant. We don't want to be a covenant breaker. A backbiter is a covenant breaker. Backbiting is a characteristic of a lost Gentile. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstaining from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they 
may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So this phrase here, speak against, is the same Greek word, kataleo, which we found in our text, speak not evil of one another, brethren. So we see this is what lost people would do. They would speak against us as evildoers. This is why it's important, once again, to be walking circumspectly and not to give the lost ammunition to speak evil against us. Let us be good testimonies amongst the lost. Amen? Like the verse says, they need to see our good works that they may glorify God for them. And let's not exhibit the characteristics of lost men and speaking against each other. So uh, now we see that backbiting, well, we saw that backbiting was a characteristic of a reprobate mind, a lost Gentile, and now we see it's a characteristic of Satan. It's a characteristic of Satan. We all know that Satan is our adversary. He is always working against us. As I mentioned earlier, he wants us to speak evil of each other. He doesn't want us to be unified. Amen? He wants us to be to be confused. Why? Because he's the author of confusion. He wants us to be at ends. He wants us to be at each other's throats, to be fighting so we're not unified in do- carrying out the Great Commission or, or doing, reaching the lost or any, any of the above because he wants us to be at ends with each other. That's why it's called divide and conquer. He wants strife. He wants all these things in the church. And how does he accomplish it? By getting us to backbite, by getting us to speak evil of one another, by getting us to gossip. We see the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation 12.10, is where he's called the accuser of the brethren because that's what he does. He brings accusations against us the same way he did to Job in chapter 1. God was pleased, pleased with Job. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And the devil, the accuser of the brethren, said, Job was only faithful because God had put a hedge of protection around him. He said if God took away that protection, that he would curse God to his face. What an accusation, amen? But we make the same devilish accusations when we speak evil of one another. Making false accusations is a trademark of Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he's also known as the devil. The name devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, which means, guess what? False accuser and slanderer. False accuser, slanderer. That's, his, that's the definition of, of the name devil. So slander and backbiting are very similar and both characteristics of the devil. Slander is a false tale or report maliciously uttered intending to injure, injure the good name of another. Now the word diabolos, it occurs 38 times in the New Testament. And it's always translated devil except for three times. And let's look at those three times right now. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 and 3. 2, 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, and here we go, false accusers. That's the word diabolos right there. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. So the word false accuser here is the word, again, diabolos. So we find here in these perilous times, these wicked men will be false accusers. And it's devilish to accuse someone falsely. If you're going to make an accusation against someone you better have facts 
and you better have witnesses to back it up. Don't be a false accuser. That's a devil. I can't help but think of all the high-profile cases that we see now on, t- on TV. I'm not going to be specific, but think of all the people accused of rape falsely. That's a, 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 a big accusation. It's one that would tarnish somebody's reputation for a long time. And of course, always, once you're accused, if you're found innocent, they're not going to remember that you were found innocent. They're going to remember that you were accused of that. And it's, like, it's, like, it's almost like a tool to use to purposely injure someone. I mean, how damaging can that be to someone's reputation? We've seen it. How about when someone is falsely accused of being a racist? That happens all the time nowadays. We hear this accusation thrown around a lot, and it's mainly done to defame someone's reputation. It's always easier to make the accusation, but it's never easy to retract it or clear a person's name. In other words, it's easier to make a false claim than it is to prove your own innocence. There was a guy um, that was on uh, Hanny, I can't remember his name, that he was accused in the, in the 70s for like something. And he said, how do I get my good name back? That's what I want to know. How do I get my good name back after he was known for this, this accusation? You can't. That's what makes it so devilish. This is why we must not entertain any gossip. We must not entertain any slander and false accusations made against the preacher. We must not, we must not give ear to these devils. Their objective is to maliciously injure the good name of a preacher with their slander. And the word of God gives us instructions to safeguard from such accusations. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. A couple pages over. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 19, the Bible says, Against an elder, which is a pastor, he's also known as an elder or bishop, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So we see if an accuser cannot produce two or three witnesses... We're not to believe it. That's, the, that's, that's following the Bible way. Amen? I know there's been some preachers out there or so-called preachers that have done some evil things. But I also know that the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Amen? And, and anything done in secret will also be revealed. But we are under no circumstances should give ear to a false accuser, to a preacher without a witness. Then we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's turn to chapter 3. We're still looking at the three scripture references where Diabolos is not translated devil. So back there it was false accuser, and then we see First Timothy three, chapter uh, verses one. Um, excuse me, chapter three, verses ten and eleven. And the Bible says, "And let these also first be proved; then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave." Not slanderers. Right there is the word diabolos. Sober, faithful in all things. Now let's turn to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Verse 3. The Bible says, The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. That's the word diabolos right there. Not given to wine, teachers of good things. So we see here in these two verses, the Apostle Paul addresses wives of deacons and aged women in the church. And the expectation is for them not to be involved in gossip, slander, or false accusing. This behavior, again, is devilish and not acceptable for women in these positions in the church. Gossip is habitually revealing of personal or sensitive information of others. 
Gossip is idle talk or rumors, especially about the personal or private affairs of others. One man said that gossip is hearing something you like about someone you don't like. Amen? Like, you don't want that. You, like, people, for some reason, they like hearing bad things about people. That's why, you know, working at the post office, I deliver a lot of these, you know, gossip magazines, like the Us Weekly, the Star Magazine, People, whatever, all those Hollywood gossip, you know, the people on the, on the page are all, like, celebrities who are, always, you know, doing bad things, but people love to hear gossip. We ought not have itching ears for gossip. So Paul's addressing these women in these two verses, and it's important to note that, again, slander and false accusations is another word for devil. We don't want our women to be devilish, amen? A good example for women should be the virtuous woman. The virtuous woman. In Proverbs 31, 26, the Bible says, she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of what? Kindness. Kindness. So when she opens her mouth, wisdom comes out. If we want to speak with that same wisdom, we can. We just have to ask God for it. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, if you lack it, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to, it shall be given to him. If, before you get into a situation where you have to respond to someone, pray really quick and say, Lord, give me wisdom on how to answer this. Pray to God. Ask him. He says he, he loves to give it to him to all men liberally. You want wisdom? Ask God. He'll give it to you. And he abradeth not. It should be given to him. So she opened her mouth with wisdom, not gossip, and her tongue is the law of kindness, not malice, not slander or false accusations. The virtuous woman edifies with her words. She is kind. She is not harsh. She is a good, godly example for all of us. So we saw backbiting. We saw gossip. We saw slandering. And then now we see being a busybody and a tattler. A busybody is someone who's always meddling, always meddling, without authority in the affairs of others. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 11. The Bible says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So these busybodies are people who are busy with other people's affairs instead of attending to their own duties. They are lazy. They care, about, they care more about other people's business than getting off their tail and working hard. Amen? The Bible says that these are the ones that Paul said that didn't work, they should not eat. These are busybodies. Always worry about other people. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. So the, the Peter's telling us, let none of you suffer as. And he's giving these different things, a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and a busybody. Don't be a busybody. Always worry about other people's affairs. Worry about yourself. See, a, a busybody is always in someone's business. This is why gossip is so dangerous. Because if your gossip reaches the ear of a busybody, expect more than the one person you told to find out. Because mark it down, busybodies know other busybodies, right? And they're going to go tell them, 
They're going to go tell five more. And then the thing that you told them that you only meant for them to hear, everybody knows it. And think of the damage you did to that person who you told on. Then we see we have tattling, which is empty, foolish talk. It is also gossiping and revealing secrets and spreading lies. I remember when we were young, I always heard the word, your tattletale. I always thought a tattletale, I was telling Brother Joe, was someone who just ratted you out all the time. But that's not necessarily what it is. It's someone who's always telling tales. You tell tales. You tattle and you keep telling stories. You lie. You spread lies and gossip. That's what being a tattletale is. And Paul addressed Timothy in regards to young widows in 1 Timothy 5.13. It says, and withal, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, and also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So you see how all these are like one and the same, backbiting, gossip, slander, tattling? Can you see why we should not speak evil of one another, brethren? We are brethren, and we should conduct ourselves as such. Now, there are times when it's appropriate. It's appropriate to speak of others, and it's not speaking evil. And there are times you have to warn people of bad men. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is not considered speaking evil. Second Timothy 2.16. The Bible says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, concerning the truth, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So Paul here is warning the church on two men spreading false doctrine. Hymenaeus and Philetus were spreading error and false doctrine concerning the resurrection. They said it passed already. It is absolutely not gossip or slander when you warn people of false doctrine. Paul said this error on the resurrection would have overthrown the faith of some. So it's never wrong to warn against people who, who go against the truth. And we are to warn of men who preach and teach false doctrines, men who are heretics. Anyone who will overthrow the faith of some at this point is not speaking evil of them when you, when you, when you tell on them. Jesus said, beware of the scribes and Pharisees, the hypocrites. We're told to beware of dogs, beware of evil men. Warning people of such is not speaking evil. And there are times when you have to rebuke publicly and privately. This is also not speaking evil. 1 Timothy 5.20, the Bible says, Then that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. So public sin, we see, is, public of, uh, is worthy of public rebuke. Public rebuke is designed for the good of others, that they may fear or not fall for the same sin. We see in Galatians, Paul, he had to withstand Peter to the face publicly because he was, er he was in error when he was um, being hypocritical with the Jews and the Gentiles. And he had to do it for testimony's sake. It was done publicly to help Peter. But Paul did not go behind Peter's back and write a letter to the Galatians without going to his face first and telling him. And that brings us to our second point. Number two, speaking evil puts us against the law. Let's go back to our text in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 11, the Bible says, Speak not evil one another, one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a, thou art not a doer of the law, 
but a judge. So we see that when we speak evil, when one speaks evil of his brother in Christ, he puts himself against the law. He puts himself against the law of Moses and the law of Christ. So if you speak evil of your brother, you are judging your brother. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, the Bible says. So not only are we speaking evil and judging your brother, you're doing the same with God's laws. You're saying to God, God, your law doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. I can speak evil of my brother. This is the height of arrogance and pride. This is why the verse that precedes our text is James 4.10, which says, Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he shall lift you up. Who are we not to obey God's law? Have you heard that saying before? No one is above the law? It's true. We're not above the law. We shouldn't put ourselves above the law. Now let's look at some of these commands. Let's start with the law of Moses in Exodus chapter 20, 16. But you don't, you don't have to turn there. We know that it's the ninth commandment. It's um, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So this ninth commandment, not to bear false witness or lie. We are not to gossip or spread lies about our neighbors. Bearing false witness is to be deceptive. It's to be injurious in testimony. It's to gossip and to be a tattletale or a talebearer. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a talebearer revealeth secrets. A talebearer goes around telling the secrets of others, and this goes against the law. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. Verse 16 of Leviticus 19, the Bible says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. So we see the command not to tell lies of our neighbor. It's what God commands. So that was the law of Moses. Now let's look at the law of Christ. Let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Verse 36. The Bible says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the, law thy God, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So these two commandments, Christ said, Loving God with all thy heart, all thy soul and mind, and loving thy neighbor as thyself are in essence the two nails that the entire law and prophets hang upon. They're dependent on those two laws because they hang from it. Mark 12.31 says, There is none other commandment greater than these. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love your neighbor as thyself. This here is the law of Christ and it's also known as the royal law. The royal law. Let's turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. So why is it a royal law? Why? Because it was given to us by the King of Kings. Amen? It was given to us by Jesus Christ. And we are to fulfill it. And we are to keep it. Let's turn to John chapter 13. John 13. 
verse 34. The Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Well, uh, excuse me, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So if we think about the context of where, what this is in this chapter, this is after Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Amen? I mean, no, you can't have a greater act of love for the brethren than washing their dirty feet. And that's what Jesus did. He said, this is how they will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. That should put speaking evil of the brethren in perspective. We should not be speaking evil of one another because that, that's not the kind of love that Jesus was trying to teach us. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Trust me, I was convicted doing this study. Amen? Romans 13, Romans 13 verses 8 through 10, it says, No man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Again, we want to fulfill the law. We don't want to place ourselves against it or above it. We want to fulfill it. And it says, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as, thy, as, as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So we see love worketh no ill to his neighbor. If you love your neighbor, if you love the brethren, you will not work ill towards them by speaking evil of them or gossiping of them to others. Remember, slandering is done for the purpose to injure someone. That's not loving your neighbor as thyself. That's not fulfilling the royal law of Christ. You would not want to be slandered against or evil spoken of ourselves, so why do we do it of others? We have to be doers of the law and of the word, not hearers only. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So again, this perfect law of liberty is also the royal law, the law of loving one another as you love, as, um, you love yourself or your neighbor. And then let's look at verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, his, this man's religion is vain. So if you claim to be religious, but your tongue is uncontrolled, it reveals the falseness and hollowness of that profession. If you say, I'm saved, but constantly run down the brethren and are participating in gossip and backbiting, James says you're deceiving your own heart. The mark of someone who saved, they have to control their tongue, control their anger, control their emotions. We must keep this perfect law of liberty by bridling our tongues. And why? Let's look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Verse 5. 
The Bible says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. So we have to restrain our tongues because they can do so much damage if allowed. The Bible describes the tongue here in James as a fire, a world of iniquity. Let us not ignore the law of Christ by not watching our tongues. It is a fire. It can be uncontrolled. Think about raging, like, building fire that, that cannot be controlled, and it starts by a little spark. That's what the tongue is. It's, it's, that, it's that the smallest member of our body, but if it's not controlled, it can become a blazing inferno. Let's go back to our text in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 11, speak not evil one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So to speak evil of the brethren not only puts us against God's law, speaking evil of the brethren also means to become their judge. Therefore, to speak evil of a brother is the same as judging them and amounts to speaking evil and judging God's law. This is because when we judge, we disregard God's law of love this law, as, just, as we just saw, takes away our right to slander others. Speaking evil puts us above or against God's law and therefore makes us a judge. Jesus cautions those who want to be judges. And let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we'll see that. People like to judge, but when you put it in the perspective of what Jesus says about judging, you might want to be careful of how you judge. Matthew 7, verse 1, if I can get there. The Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged, for, what, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So Jesus warns that if we judge, be ready to have that same standard we use to judge others, others be used against us. And this is not speaking of judging sin or, or righteous judgment, right? This speaks of being overly critical of a brother or being hypocritical. And we see in verse 3 it says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? So in verse 5, Jesus says to the person who looks at his brother's little fault, that little splinter he has in his eye, and he's pointing it out. He can see it clear. But the problem is, he doesn't see the big two-by-four that's in his own eye. That's being hypocritical. Jesus says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. In other words, we need to worry about ourselves. Worry about ourselves, focus on our sin, not others. We all heard the saying, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. And there's truth to that. If you're going to sit there and you're going to judge other people, be careful because that same stone you threw is going to get thrown back at you and you live in a glass house. Be careful. We want to be doers of the law, not judges of the law. Amen? And that brings us to our final closing point. Number three, speaking evil puts us in place of Christ. Let's go back to our text in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, 
but a judge. And listen now, it says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So we see the dangerous places we put ourselves when we speak evil of one another. We put ourselves against the brethren. We put ourselves against the law. And ultimately, we're placing ourselves in place of Christ. God is only supreme, the only supreme lawgiver. God gave us these laws and commands and is the only one who is able to enforce them. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32. Excuse me, 33. 33 verse 22. The Bible says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. He will save us. Only God has the power to save and to destroy. It is also the Lord alone who will be seated on the judgment seat of Christ. Not man. He will judge us for our faithfulness and for our works. Not any man and not us, definitely. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Is the Lord. It is Christ and Christ alone who will be seated on the great white throne of judgment. Revelation 20.11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heavens fled away, and there, was no, and there was found no place for them. So this here is a sublime image of power and of majesty. Lost men are going to tremble at this day when the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will be the final judge of their unlawful deeds and their rejection of the gospel. There is one lawgiver. And this is why at the end of verse 12 of James it says, Who art thou that judgest another? In other words, this place belongs to the Lord. And who do you think you are by judging your brother? That's what he's saying there. Who do you think you are to, to speak evil of your brother? Who, who do you think you are to, to place ourselves above God's law? Who do you think you are? Speaking evil has done great damage to individual Christians, to church families, to communities. Gossip and slander are powerful and destructive activities. Beloved, please, let us be faithful in this covenant of abstaining from backbiting, from gossip, or of any evil speaking of the brethren. Amen? Let's pray.